What's up, everybody? My name is Billy Boozer, and welcome back to the Everyday Hustle podcast. Today, I've got a really great guest, Matt Jay, and I'm super excited to have him. But before we jump into that, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Hustle Mob. You can go to hustlemob.com, and Hustle Mob is a place for merchants and early stage businesses to get better services for selling their products and goods. And so we use NFC tags and uh, and enable people to be able to sell items, invoice people in a more easy way at the earliest stage of businesses. Most of these early stage businesses don't have great tools for being able to sell their products. And so we make sure we focus on that point of sale, that point of purchase and make it a better experience for your customers. So go over to hustlemob.com, go ahead and pre-register. And uh, I appreciate all the support. Uh, today on the Everyday Hustle podcast, I've got Matt Jay, and Matt is a longtime friend. Um, we've known each other for many years, uh, back in the Proctor U days when he was killing it with that product and, and when it was struggling at times. I'm just super excited to bring him on because he's a great technologist that I've had a lot of respect for. He mentors a lot of friends of mine, and uh, they have so much respect for him that it's always translated to me as well. So, Matt, let me uh, let me get a quick intro for me. What 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 uh, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Billy. I really appreciate you having me on. And likewise, man, uh, friends with you for quite a while. And I really respect you and your, your journey and everything that you've gone through as well. I mean, it's just an incredible. I mean, I love hearing your story and being able to share your story with others. So it's really, really cool. So a little bit about me. Went to school. University of Florida. So go Gators. That's my that's my allegiance. <laughs> I went there, graduated, um, degree in computer science and engineering, but um, I really wanted to be a rock star. So I moved out to LA with the band um, and I gave it my best shot. It didn't turn out quite the way I wanted, but in the end, I learned a lot of stuff. I was in a couple of different startups, one in particular with my buddy, Jared Morgan, and we founded this company called ProctorU. ProctorU is an online company that basically enables people to take exams from anywhere they are in the world. And we started that one over a decade ago. And uh, in 2020, we both had a great exit from that company. And so ever since then, I really wanted to dedicate my time to just giving back um, and just helping as many founders as I possibly could. And uh, it's been an awesome ride since then. So what I did is I, I got involved with, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm living here in Birmingham, Alabama, which is a great place, by the way. I uh, started working with a company called Innovation Depot. I was the entrepreneur in residence and their velocity and voltage programs. I started working with uh, EDPA, Alabama Launchpad. Uh, I worked with the city of Pelham on economic development and uh, that eventually led me to uh, Techstars. And so with uh, with Techstars, Nate and Brooke were running the program uh, in 2022. They heard about me and said, hey, would you like to become uh, the entrepreneur residence for us? And I was like, okay, that sounds that sounds cool. Uh, you know, I want to give that a shot. Like uh, I would love to you know be able to help your, your founders. And uh, when I got into the program, this was in uh, September of 2022, I really fell in love with just how they truly did put founders first and they gave everything, uh, all this passion to every, to this whole process. And I just, I just fell in love with it. And so by the time this was done with my cohort of, of 10, uh, working with tech stars in, uh, December of 2022, uh, Nate, who's the uh, managing director of tech stars here said, Hey, you know, I'm getting promoted. Um, I love the work that you did with our cohort, and I think you would make a great managing director. I definitely encourage you to apply for it. And um, you know what? I was just like, sure. I mean, it sounds like a great, great opportunity. Um, it's right up the alley of, of what I've been doing, and you know what you guys did was fantastic. So it was just a no. It was it was it was no brainer. I hate to use that word, no brainer, but but it really was. It truly was. And so. I applied for it, I got it. And so what I'm I'm doing now is I'm the manager director of, of Techstars here at Birmingham. And so just uh, on my way to try to source and find 12 of the best and brightest energy tech, climate tech companies that I, I possibly can, give them some mentorship, some guidance, some help, and hopefully they become wildly successful. So yeah, that's a little yeah. bit about that. 
No, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. We've got a weird overlay. So like my first experience meeting you was uh, at Proctor U as a consultant trying to come there and I think sell basically advertising and web services. And uh, I got to meet you and you guys were in the middle of, you know, shoring up a flash app that was like, you know, holding on. And, and, and it was such an impressive thing because in Birmingham at that time, you didn't see startups that, or at least like, companies that were classified to a certain extent as startups, but also had like 500 employees across the United States in call centers and remote test proctoring centers. And like you walk into this space and there's just all these people that are just sitting there watching other people taking tests and making sure that they're not cheating on tests or making sure that they've got everything and all the support that they need doing it. And it was like super impressive, but it was also a startup at the same time, you know, Uh, and most people in Birmingham in that area didn't even know much about ProctorU. I think I had randomly run into maybe Jared or somebody, I can't remember who it was, and they had brought us in. And it was just so cool to see, you know, that scale of startup in the Birmingham area. And I know you guys had a few offices across uh, across the country, one in California, I think one in like Utah or Nevada or something like that. Um, and yeah. uh, it was it was just really neat. I mean, so I, I don't know. You know it, was, it was one of my first experiences getting to walk into a startup that was trying to scale and trying to figure out what it looked like to go to that next kind of like series B world, you know, and, uh, and I know there was a lot of trials and tribulations after that. Uh, and I know that you guys finally sold the business after making it hugely successful. So tell me about like, before we get to Proctor, you, what did you do? What was your kind of like uh, life experience up to doing a startup? I mean, had you tried to do that before or was it all the, the band and the graduating college? Was that, was that the focus at the time? Yeah, no. Um, my kind of entrepreneurial journey started with my parents. Um, when I was 10 years old, my dad comes up to me and says, son, you're 10 years old now. In six years, you're going to need to, you're going to want to have a car. <laughs> and so here's a hundred bucks. You can spend it on Nintendo games or whatever that may be. But I would recommend that you save it and you start finding ways so that you can make that money to have their car when you're 16. Mm-hmm. I thought about that and I was like, oh man, okay, well, now I know what the game is. I, I need to get to work. And so um, I was always into computers and technology. And back in this this time period, um, putting together a computer was was pretty expensive and it was pretty difficult for most people. It just, there just wasn't that much. There was no internet at the time. And so, you know, you had to rely on, magazines and publications and trade shows and stuff like that. So I, I like being into technology. I was building computers when I was like 10 years old programming and so forth. And so I started to make it a business of mine to go out and repair computers, uh, build computers and so forth for friends, family, people in the neighborhood, in addition to the standard mowing your grass, shoveling snow and all that stuff. But I was always trying to like make money and I would make the most money, like, you know, doing the computer thing. So I started working early, early on. But when I could officially get a job, I started work at this Japanese restaurant called Yamato's in Pensacola. Uh, mm-hmm. I started off as like a dishwasher at 14. My mom had to drive me to work. She hated that, but <laughs> she did it anyway. And then eventually you had friends that, you know, you'd hire your friends and they'd work there. Um, and then I worked my way up there to become a hibachi chef. That was pretty awesome because I was like the youngest hibachi chef like ever. That was this incredible opportunity. And you know, through that type of job, man, I was I was making pretty darn good money, you know, yeah. as 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 just a high school kid. But then when I went to went to college, I knew that I didn't want to necessarily do that in college uh, while I was while I was trying to study. So I uh, I heard about this thing called the A plus uh, CompTIA A plus computer certification, and so. I picked up a book about it. I studied it and I and I was able to pass that certification test in the course of a weekend because I just my background in technology enabled me to do that. And so I become a certified computer technician and I started to look for jobs while I was in Gainesville. And I picked up a computer tech job uh, that led me to Best Buy uh, and Geek Squad, like um, the biggest place there in, in Gainesville at the time was, was Best Buy. And they were just starting this thing up called Geek Squad. They just acquired this company and they were starting to roll it out. And I wanted to be part of that because I'd heard about Geek Squad. And, um, and I was like, oh, this is this is a really cool business model. I love the whole 
you know, computer agents and like they just this this whole culture of secret agents, double agents, and like the uniforms and the badges <laughs> and the cars. And everything. It was just cool. I was like, this is this is cool. This is right up my alley. And so uh, I got into that organization and uh, just helped roll it out uh, from from its inception, started to grow. And uh, all the while I was doing the college thing, I was in the music, and you know that was on the professional side. But then on like the music side. Um, that was like one of the first real business kind of situations that I, I was starting from scratch. Um, you know, you have your product, which is music. It's, it's a services based business because you're providing a service. And so you have to really learn to dig into that aspect of, you know, providing great service, consistent service, quality, um, and being able to market your product and to go to all these things, negotiate deals. And so learned a lot about business through being in a band. And I made my first biggest business mistake uh, when I graduated from college and was like, I'm going to take this band and go to LA because I'm going to abandon my my market of all the people and customers and fans that I acquired and all <laughs> the connections to think that I can go to LA, a bigger market, not really know that much people and do all that again there. Like that yeah. was the first biggest like business mistake that I ever made. Um, I mean, hindsight learning that mistake was worth it but if i if i think if i would have stayed with the band we would have continued along the south and just continued to work the same kinds of shows efforts we would have been you know picked up discovered but then again who who knows it was a hard time for music mp3s were you know being circulated like crazy yeah digital was coming of age and you know record labels were not um the they basically fired most anrs and so record labels were not, uh, you know, cutting huge checks like they used to be. So very interesting time for, for the music industry. Oh, while I was in college, I guess it's a trifecta of things. I wish I could have thought of this more organized, but like <laughs> um, working with Jared in college too. So like, if you have Jared on here, he, he'll tell you some interesting stories about his entrepreneur efforts. And like, I was loosely affiliated to some of these, but he would like start these like massive parties and just basically syndicate these, these massive parties in Gainesville. And I would be on the side, like working on the technology part of them, like, you know, creating a flash implementation for a website or like yeah. generating bugs across like aim channels and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, um, getting people to come to these things. Um, you know, so that's how we started first working together. We, we knew each other through college. Uh, well, even earlier than that, but uh, we worked together really closely in college and, started to work on some of these entrepreneur efforts, like, you know, starting in college and then outside of college. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot that's interesting there, you know, even in Birmingham, there's another guy named Jeff Gale, or he used to be in Birmingham. I think he's in Chattanooga or something like that now, but he started a company called Ticket Biscuit. And I think the onus for him starting that business as well was, uh, he had a band and needed to be able to sell tickets and was like making websites for uh, lots of bands and stuff like that. And it's funny, like that kind of entertainment segment created so many different SaaS products over the years. Um, Ticket Biscuit was one that comes to mind. But if you, even if you think of other like ticketing systems, event management systems, there's, there's all of these people that I knew that either came out of like building websites for churches or building websites for bands that ended up building a lot of software, right? And uh, I always find it interesting that those are part of the kind of like, I guess, aperture that created the the software experience that we see today. Um, and, I, and I always try to think about nowadays, the different things that we're seeing today that are going to generate those things in the future. You know, I mean, I think I saw a thing the other day where this YouTuber that I had seen a few times that had gotten a pretty big following began to use uh, ChatGPT and a couple of other artificial intelligence tools that create media content to create like basically a deep fake of a he was a Amazon, you know, prime delivery guy that was stealing packages. And he created like a deep fake of a news organization covering it. And then all these other news organizations started covering it and started getting like, you know, cease and desist letters from, uh, from Amazon from it. And like those moments in time make me think, okay, so what's happening now that will shape the future of how people develop technology. And uh, I think, 
we look back with a lot of reverence to the past, uh, you know, of those moments that it was very clear and very obvious that new products needed to be developed and technology could be applied to those new products. But it's difficult in the moment to realize the opportunity, right? So like when you guys were starting out with ProctorU, what was the moment in which you realized the opportunity? Like where, where, when was it that you were like, oh, there might be something here. Someone said yes. Someone said this is the right direction. Someone maybe paid you. What was that moment like? Yeah, so just going back to the, you know, being able to find these opportunities. In general, what I've realized from talking to lots of different founders and lots of different entrepreneurs, and I know even yourself, it's something that we talk about is like, you find these opportunities in the moments of everyday life. These are problems, right? Problems that need to be solved. I, I talk to people in that regard. It's like, all right, you know, you're having a hard time. Like, I want to start this business. I don't know what to do. Like, I have a lot of different ideas. Well, start with what resonates with you the most. Like, look at your day-to-day -day life in a 24-hour span. I promise you, you're going to find something in that 24 hours where like, wow, like I really had a problem doing that. That really sucked. Like, I, mm -hmm. I bet you I could probably solve that in a better way. Or you're doing something or using a product that you use every single day and you just don't even think about it. You just use it every single day. Like, you know, I do this every single day because I have to, because it's just part of the habit, but it really is not that great. There are so many different opportunities like that just in your day-to-day -day life. You don't have to think about, well, how do I create the next Google or how mm -hmm. do I create the next chat GBT? It's like, it doesn't really happen like that. It just happens through the course of just everyday, plain old life. You're going to find these opportunities. And that segues me into, you know, prop for you. And so that pretty much was a culmination of this was 2000, 2008, 2007, 2008. The stock market had just imploded. Financial crisis had just happened. People were losing their jobs, homes, and so forth. So you know what people are doing? They're going back to school. They were doubling down on investing in themselves. They're investing in education. And so the problem there was that, okay, a lot of the content had shifted online. But when it comes time to take that test, where do you go? What do you, what do, you do? Oh, you still got to go back to class. You got to like fly to campus or you got to like find a proctor. You got to go to a library. It's just super inconvenient. And so Jared was working at an online college at the time, and we were creating another adjacent type of product. And um, the students were always like, you know, this, this online college thing is, is great and all, but man, this test taking process really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like there's gotta be something more convenient when it comes to taking that test. And there really wasn't, there was no other solution at the time. And mm -hmm. it's rare when you encounter those particular types of situations. And when you do, it's a matter of being able to seize on that opportunity and execute on it and get something out there, start that product validation process, start testing it and just start working the problem. Right. Um, and then it's a matter of uh, putting together a growth strategy and ours was called plant the flag. And so we just wanted to get as many people as we can using the product. And once, once we did that, it hit critical mass and it started to take off like crazy. Well, that's interesting because I remember going into y'all's office and I remember, uh, and maybe this was the plant, the flag strategy with all the pennants that were on the walls. Uh, yep. I, it felt yeah, like right. that, that might be what you're alluding to there. Tell, that's tell exactly me about how you guys so, got yeah. to this, like plant the flag thing. So that, that's the, that's the mastermind of Jared. So that's why Jared and I work really well together is because we're both visionaries, but like he he focuses on really good on vision um, and he comes up with these incredible types of marketing, sales and marketing strategies. Um, and me, I'm like an operational executor, get it done. Like I make things real, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where we play really well together. He can come up with these incredible things, know how to sell them, know how to market them. And regardless of how maybe seemingly impossible something might sound, I normally can come up with a way to make it happen. Yeah. That's like how we play really well together. And so he came up with that strategy of um, being able to, all right. So a lot of people will say, oh, I really need to land this massive, massive customer. Yeah. But you know what? It takes a lot of time and effort and resources to land and even, you know, experience, knowledge and know-how to, to land a massive customer. Once you get into that door of that, you know, whatever that fortune 500 company, do you know how to sell into that? Uh, probably not, you know, but you can sell like hand to hand, door to door, like person to person. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you sell enough of those, 
well, you know what? It's going to get the tension of that Fortune 500 one day. Mm-hmm. And so that was our strategy early on. Let's just go sell to students, sell to professors, sell to classes, sell to you know colleges, sell to universities, eventually sell to systems, and then sell to corporates. You know, so we just moved on up the line. Mm-hmm. And that strategy worked really well in that particular business. I don't recommend that's not for everybody. And depending upon the market that you're in, that's not the best strategy. But in our particular case, where it was just a land grab of opportunity, you want to try to plant your flag in as many different pieces as you possibly can. And, and that's what really worked for us. Yeah. I mean, uh, it reminds me a bunch of what you've said reminds me of what we're going through with the two companies that we've been launching. One of them is Colony, which was a is a managed services provider that builds uh, uh, on top of Kubernetes. And most of those like companies that we'd be talking to would be large enterprises that have long sales cycles. And for a startup, a long sales cycle can absolutely destroy the business because you don't have Mm -hmm. enough capital to keep that business going. And then with Hustle Mob, I think one of the things that you mentioned were you guys were working in an adjacent on an adjacent solution to the online test test proctoring thing and you know uh Jared was in the industry with online uh, uh schooling and you know with us what we're working on in Hustle Mob the initial idea was to create a Venmo alternative for early stage businesses and early stage side hustlers and along the way we realized uh, that one, there was a banking crisis going on. So you can't, you can't, you know, disregard macroeconomic issues that are happening, right? Which make it very difficult right. to do a banking level startup. But then we started having all these conversations with the people in the periphery of payments, right? And realized that there was a lot of really bad software that was developed for your average merchant. Like if you go and uh, talk to your person who you buy bagels from, that's a local bagel shop, or you go talk to, let's say, Cahaba Cycles or one of these places that's near you, that's really a local vendor. They've likely got a local merchant services group that's managing all of their payments and transactions actions and you go start looking into the software that they're selling them and it's all garbage you know and so it's like hey there's a cool opportunity here for us to do something different but us being adjacent or at least in that same area and really thinking about that problem helped us figure out that there's another place that we could potentially build software at that maybe has less barriers to entry, enables us to go knock on doors as opposed to us have to go through Google or Facebook or you know large ad spins, right, to be able to get to the end customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can go really targeted and have conversations with people. And uh, well, a thing that I'm good at is having a conversation with somebody and you know selling them on something that we're doing. And so, uh, you know, I think we got some pretty sage advice from Bill Smith uh, over at Shipped a couple weeks ago, which was, you know, find a business that you can go sell by having a phone call or a LinkedIn message because those two places, there's no gatekeeper at the moment still, right? There's there's nobody that's yep. saying you can't talk to that person without paying me, right? And so uh, yep. that's what we started doing. So, I mean, I think I think those are great lessons. And and then the, I guess the last one is, is I always follow David Sachs and he's kind of on the conservative side of startups. Right. And so he's, he's the, in the all in podcast world, he's the, 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 the token conservative on the, the podcast. And I love him because he's very practical in his execution and his execution is like, you know, there, no one can doubt how great he's been over the years at being an an operating partner in a startup or a growth business. And uh, in, in, in one of the things that you were talking about is this bottom-up strategy of getting the people that needed to care about the thing, that needed to use the end user, not necessarily the intermediary, which may be the organization or the corporation or the college institution to use it, the, the actual end user to use it and find value, and then let them tell that story a bit to you, to the to the overarching entity that's going to buy this software, right? 
And I think that yeah. bottom-up approach is the same thing that David Sachs did with Yammer. And it's it's been one of those things that I've seen over the years work really, really well because there's not an impediment between you and that user. There's no like corporate entity that it, you know is the buffer between you and the purchase of the product or the usage of the product for that matter. It's it's just having a conversation. And uh I love that. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it sounds like some great lessons learned. And it sounds like also when you were, you know, doing the band thing, that was the least risky time to learn the lesson that you don't want to mm-hmm. run away from your customers, right? You want to stay where they are, right? I think that's one of the things that if I could encourage anybody that's in a college or early stage scenario is, is like find the people that love you and stay next to them and 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 continue to foster the behavior that you think is going to be more beneficial for that customer base and not try to seek out the shiny object, you know, a long, a long ways away because, you know, LA is a thing out there and it's a strange entity until you get there and realize you're the only one there and you're all doing the same thing as well. Everybody that's, uh, that's there. So, um, so tell me a little bit more about what you've been doing lately, what your, you know, mentoring looks like, what your role at Techstars is and what you're looking to get out of that. I, like I said, back, back in 2020, after having this exit, it is it has just been sole focus, just helping people and helping the right people. I realized um, through my journey at ProctorU that um, I sacrificed a lot. Um, I think everybody has a story of, of what they had to sacrifice. It's not all like glitter and glamour and like all this, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it takes it takes something from you, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that it took for me initially was my health. And, um, then it was, um, time with my family. I, I sacrificed a ton of time with my family and I regret that a little bit. Um, maybe not just a little, maybe a lot, actually, quite honestly. And uh, what what I want to do now and what I've been doing now is dedicating that prioritization towards, you know, still health, but also family um, and making sure that I don't miss some of those opportunities that I missed with, uh, with my son um, and don't miss them with my daughter. And so the fact that I'm coming out here and testifying to that, like, will help me stay honest, right? Like, oh, you said that on that podcast, you better do it, (laughs) you know? And I'll be honest with you, um, now that I'm, you know, I've decided to take this role as a managing director uh, at Techstars, I find myself falling into some of the familiar patterns of just hustling and working hard and just grinding for hours and hours. And I just, um, I, I, even now, I mean, to this day, I I need to make sure that I, I don't fall into those types of those things, but it is just awesome to be able to do what I'm doing in this particular role. And to know that, you know, I, I really have an opportunity to help as many people as I possibly can, um, leveraging this, platform of an ecosystem and framework that Techstars kind of enables to find a company that's actually truly aligned with what your mission is, like being able to give first with zero expectation return, putting founders first, um, and just being part of that is really, really cool. And, you know, as, as long as the mission stays the same and we continue to do what, uh, what we say we do and we continue marching forward. Like I foresee myself here for, for quite a while. And it, it is great um, to being able to help a, a particular founder um, uh, help startups and just kind of see them grow over time and to take a piece of information or a hard lesson that you've learned in the past and being able to share it with them and then see their, their eyes like light up and be like, Oh crap. Like that is really cool. Um, I've really never experienced that before until you know just recently just you know kind of getting out of being an operator myself and just getting out there and helping people and then seeing that effect is incredible um so those who are out there you know who are just heads down trying to make this thing work if you take a second just to give back to those that are trying to do the thing like you're doing or those that are on their way up just where you were maybe even just a couple weeks ago and just help them, um, man, it, it, it opens up your eyes uh, and just kind of 
really shows you that, hey, there's there's a lot out there and being able to give back is, is is all part of it. I mean, I think we're all we're all trying to do the best that we can. We're trying to to uh, to make this world a better place. And, you know, definitely, if you can be a part of that, for sure, you know, regardless of where we arrive or how we got there. I think one of the things that makes us successful is the fact that we are we acknowledge that we're constantly learning and getting better. The lessons that I've learned in my past help can help others, but they don't necessarily prepare me for everything that's coming up into my future. Same with you. And I love the fact that, you know, you're still reaching out to, you know, other founders and other startups and trying to help them along their way. So you're like on that path, which is which is awesome. And it's hard to see like you doing these types of things like me, same thing. Like when you get into these roles and you're kind of in the mode operating, it's almost like these blinders come on to like the obvious things that you know, and you even talk about, you're like, oh, well, I kind of talked about that on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but I find myself in that situation. I didn't listen oh, to my yeah. own advice. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting how that happens when you're just kind of in the moment, just operating, executing and you get into this tactical mindset and you don't have the time to zoom out and think, oh, well, you know, I'm in this situation. I've been in this situation before. This is how I handled it in the past. Maybe I should probably do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really cool that, you know, you're taking the time out to to operate in all the different businesses that you're involved in and be able to give back and take the time to like, you know, zoom out a little bit and seek advice of others. So that's that's really cool. That kind of is a testament to uh, what you got going on. So that's awesome. I appreciate it. I, I think one thing that's been interesting about the podcast is I had one uh, last week with a, a podcast called Startup Hustle, which is funny, uh, which is kind of similar to what we did, but they've been doing it for a lot longer and it is a lot bigger podcast. And one of the things that we talked about was, um, you know, we made a mistake when we were doing this, the project we're working on right now with Hustle Mob, which was we built before we found the audience to build for, right? For the problem that we, we the discrete problem that we wanted to solve. It wasn't apparent to us, but we're builders, so we build, right? I think being able to have these conversations unlocks some of those obvious moments a bit at a higher frequency, because I think what you want to be able to do is make micro, micro, um, uh, what is this, micro, uh, what do you, triangulations, you know, yeah, micro adjustments, iterations. Exactly. Instead of making these big leaps, right? Because each one of those big leaps has inherent risk in it that's significantly higher than the small little micro adjustment, right? And so in our recent micro adjustment was having conversations with different types of customers, right? And understanding Mm -hmm. that there's a macro environment that's different than when we wanted to start the business. And now we've got to figure out who the next people we have to talk to that may be more advantageous just to us continuing to move that project forward. And a lot of it comes down to our ability to be resilient during that time and not quit on that we want to solve a problem, right? And we want to make sure that this problem is very discreet and is very wanted and needed by the end consumer that's going to uh, benefit from our solving that problem. And so I think it's... I think it's interesting that you know this podcast has helped a bit with that just personally for me. Uh, I, I think a lot of times when we get into creating content like this, we think about what the outcome is for that content. And like right now, LinkedIn distribution is the worst thing in the history of the world. Like you go post a, me- a message on LinkedIn, you get like three people that see the thing. And so it's like, uh, that that can't be the metric of success in this for me, because if that was the metric of success, I would have quit weeks ago doing this. You know, uh, the metric right. of success has to be, am I getting any value out of it? Are the people that I'm talking to getting out any value out of it? And then tangentially are the people that will listen to this getting any value out of it? Um, I think another thing that you said that was really important, and I actually learned this from a influencer, uh, which was like Gary Vaynerchuk. And I used to listen to him a decent amount because I liked that it seemed as though he was always in movement and that movement was leading to progress for him. And that generally that message resonated well with me. But I think one of the things that he used to say is you're always going to have to sacrifice something. What are you willing to sacrifice? Right. And 
um, at times it's very difficult because you have to sacrifice things that you won't be able to get back. Now, time is a given. You're not going to be able to get the time back, right? But the time also associated with family, friends, faith, fitness, health, all of those things have kind of cascading effects, right? And so, you know, I've struggled th with this with my son and daughter trying to figure out what time am I willing to sacrifice? What is the value that I'm giving up? And what is the cascading effect on them that then is going to lead to, you know, emotional feelings for me, emotional feelings for them that are different. And, and, you know, I've come to that realization that there are some, there are some moments in time I cannot sacrifice, right? I cannot sacrifice not going to my daughter's volleyball games and supporting her, right? Like I cannot sacrifice not taking my son to Taekwondo practice because I know he's learning discipline there. And that discipline will have uh, a cascading effect that has way more value than anything that I'm going to do on a keyboard, right? I think it's important to note that no matter what, there's going to be a sacrifice that you're going to go through throughout, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to start a business, um, you just have to set some of those boundaries around what isn't uh, up for debate on the sacrificial table of, of, of progress for our family or for yourself or for your individual aspirations and what is on, on the table, right? Sometimes it has to be the things that you actually like doing. Like I like playing video games, but I can't play video games all the time because if I don't do, if I play video games all the time, I don't get to make progress in our business. Right. And so that thing has to get sacrificed at a point in time. Uh, so I, I appreciate all that. I think it's uh I think it's sage advice from somebody that has gone through it. And like you said, in these mentoring environments, when you're an entrepreneur in residence or when you're a managing director and you're having to engage with a bunch of people that haven't went through these trials and tribulations in life, or they maybe have, but have forgotten what the, what the impact of those were on their life at that time. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's stuff that they need to hear and they need to hear over and over and over again, because as, as people, we're we tend to have short term memories around some of the things that were negatively affecting us in life or the things that positively affected us. You have to have 10 times more of those to overwhelm a negative interaction. And so having someone there to kind of course correct, help guide, help move people in the right direction is such a valuable resource. I've always struggled with in, in my career, having good mentors or people that will pour into me um, and, it's 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 been difficult because then you have to learn all those lessons on your own. And I've always been very, uh, you know, from a distance, anyone that has a, a great mentor or someone that they reference as a mentor, I've always been very jealous of that because it's always been something that I found that's difficult because a lot of times when you're the lone wolf kind of doing the thing or you're executing as a consultant for people, you don't get to build up those kind of like uh, very deep relationships with people that you work with that may be, you know, in a hierarchical, you know, higher position that you that are willing to pour into you because at that time there is a value exchange. And then when you remove yourself from that situation, you continue that relationship. And now you've got a mentor, right? I, I've never had those positions because right. I didn't really take jobs that much, you know? So uh, I think yeah. it's uh, I think it's something that anyone that's willing to dedicate that time, many of the people that are willing to dedicate that time are people that, you know, have faith that there needs to be a better outcome in the future. And they want to continue to push people forward to, uh, to have those uh, better outcomes and make a better world in the future. So uh, I, I appreciate that about you. Um, I guess my next question is, and th these will be in some of these kind of like just tangential questions that will help other people sure. find something to kind of latch on to and move themselves forward. So tell me about a documentary that's affected your life, whether it's business or not. Uh, but tell me about something that is a documentary that, that you've enjoyed throughout your life. Like a documentary. Um, I think if I think of just things that I've read or anything just most recently that um, continue to influence me um, and uh, give me motivation is um, I keep on I, I keep on thinking of David Goggins. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he, I see his stuff. Um, he is a Navy SEAL. Um, came from nothing, um, you know, against all odds kind of person that, you know, just grind so hard, work so hard to just make whatever is in his mind uh, a reality against 
what any naysayer or anybody would say against him. And um, he just lives this ethos of just, you know, of, of embodying the sheer will of moving mountains with your mind and just mind over matter. And that is really motivating to me. I mean, there's so many times when I'm thinking about things that I'm doing, if either if it's work or if it's during a workout, training for a race or anything that matter, I'm like, what would that guy do? You know, in this particular situation, yeah. he would suck it up. You keep on going, you know, yeah. and, and that just like, oh yeah, that, I'm going to do that, you know, for sure. That's what's great about this, this world and the internet and the, the ability to access all of these types of influences out there. You know, I take little bits and pieces of things like that um, from all, you, you mentioned Gary, um, you know, all these influencers out there and, you know, no one's perfect and no one has like the end all be all message with the exception, maybe, you know, God, obviously, but yeah. um, to take like, you know, you can take like antidotes from all these types of influencers, all these people and just like learn from them. And that's what I encourage people to do is, you know, you can find inspiration in so many things. I try to find inspiration in, in just about every day, any kind of everyday life uh, situation that I get into. And if you can come and approach everyday living and anyone you interact with is an opportunity to be able to learn from them as they can learn from you. I think that really, that, that helps me open up and just in general communication with people like, like never think that regardless of how young or how old or how different or how anyone could be that there's not something to be learned from that person. Um, yeah. And uh, I think if you approach, like I, I've approached life like that and I always get something out of it. I don't care who you are, rich, poor, young, old, whatever that may be. Um, somebody who doesn't, who doesn't even like, you can learn the most from people that don't like you too. I mean, that's i've learned a lot from people that don't like me yeah, <laughs> so me too. no um, doubt about that <laughs> you know some of the best learnings but i mean if you can approach life like that that's why when i think about you know things that or in particular people or documentaries or anything that's inspired me it's just like i try to look for those types of instances in in just everyday life but yeah just going back yeah, to mean, the one that just keeps on you know like in my back of my mind i see like david goggins like running yeah. and like talking something motivating me yeah i want to do that yeah i'd say 90 percent of my youtube shorts right now are david goggins youtube shorts like yeah. i get like a a, a a a mini documentary something like 15 to 30 seconds at a time from from just you know, a sequence of david goggins saying you know like get up and do something you know like uh He's, yeah. uh, he's one of those guys that his story is so compelling from where he came from. And you know, I, I think if you really want to see what that looks like, it's the manifestation of what he looked like before and where he is now and his ability to mm -hmm. push himself through situations where he's probably pushed himself to the brink of death more frequently than most people will ever experience at one time. Right. And right. And then also to see that he was like, looked like a 300 pound, you know, giant guy at some point in time that has willed himself into being this like fit focused human being that can push his body to the extreme limits that very few people have the mental fortitude to do. I mean, talk about resilience, uh, you know, watching that guy helps embolden that I ideal or that sense of resilience in your own mind. So I, yeah. I can definitely relate. I haven't met David before. I've met um, oh, Jocko and a few of the other guys before, but I've never met David oh, before. Cool. And he seems like one that would be fun to meet, but like also be kind of terrifying because he'd look through your soul in that moment and say, you're not doing enough, you know? So no, he uh, talks about taking souls. That's one of the, that's one of the things that he does. Like uh, he talks about that on races, like where he'll get in somebody's mind and he'll be like, Oh, I'm going to take that guy's soul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate it. It's like this killer instinct that's to the yeah. you know 10th degree, you know? Uh, well, so uh, on that vein, what about uh, your favorite book and like, you know, try to think something business oriented or something that would help an entrepreneur, but what's your favorite book? And uh, I've got so many different favorite books that I've just read. Like, for example, um, you were just talking about, well, there's two things that, that come to mind. So just really quick segue back. One of the things that I think David Goggins talks about in just, just this, if you could summarize it is just doing something right. Just 
don't settle into inaction. Just like get up and just do it. Right. It, it doesn't matter if it's perfect. It doesn't matter if it's like it, it, whatever it is, just get up and do it. And I think you referred to it as like a mistake. Well, I just created this product and I didn't really understand like the customer at the time or whatever. But the fact that you got up and you actually just did something mm -hmm. that like beats 90% of people that sitting there like, oh, well, you know, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. They don't just do it. You know, mm -hmm. I think the fact that you just went out and, and did it and then you learned that it wasn't like exactly what you wanted to do and you focused in on refining that. And then that leads me into the book thing. And the other thing that you talked about and I think we called it like iterative steps or little adjustments or whatever. But Jim Collins, um, he talks about firing bullets at things, right? So when when you, when you fire bullets at things, you're like firing these little tiny little bullets at a target in the hopes of like being able to hit it. And the good thing about doing that is that you can hone in on that target before you launch a missile at it or fire a cannon or something like that, right? So you're just focusing on just hitting it, right? Once you hit it, oh, you're going to you're gonna like spend all that time and effort to like just destroying that thing and just winning, right? And then the other thing you talked about too, and is this part of this, and he talks about this also, it's called 20 mile marches. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to, to go somewhere, you're trying to like hit uh, an objective, go to a destination, whatever that may be. Like, yeah, you you know that you're traveling thousands upon thousands of miles, but you need to plan it in 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 accordance to just smaller segments, twenty mile marches, as Jim Collins talks about, so that you know when you go, you go twenty miles and you stop and you think about it. Like, am I headed in the right direction? Mm -hmm. Am I doing everything I need to do? Let me check my supplies. Let me let me make sure that I'm I'm still good on this journey. Mm -hmm. um and you kind of talked about that too and like being able to to course correct but um and and circling all this back around like jim collins like a lot of his books you know really great um in terms of just kind of like this business mindset um i love the the simon Sinek books when it comes to just how to think in terms of leadership and um you know working with people um i love the book uh atomic habits for like being able to get your mind into thinking about, well, if I want to be able to um, do something or start something new, and it's always hard to start something new, but that atomic habit book, book basically, it gets you into thinking, well, if you associate that new habit with something that you already do, you can inject it into your daily life and you just kind of grow it from there. Mm -hmm. That's a method that I use for a lot of things. Uh, another great book that um, I've kind of like really lived by when it comes to interacting with with people is the 48 Laws of Power. Mm -hmm. um, uh, unfortunately, that book is like it could be used for both good and evil. Yeah. So you just kind of have to like read it with a very you know open mindset. Take a look at the different examples in there, and you know you can't let yourself be consumed by those 48 laws because if you do, you you most likely become an evil person like was, <laughs> you know but the thing is is like you can see that those laws being used against you in a lot of cases yeah and the book describes on countermeasures on how to detect and how to like work around those types of things when people are applying those things to you mm -hmm. so that has been like an invaluable book um and there's just, there's a whole bunch of them i mean i've rattled off a couple but um, there's just a ton of different books that I've read over the years. And I, I constantly try to read, you know, new books all the time that, that, you know, provide those types of business insights, life insights. And those have guided my, my journey and they continue to guide my journey, um, you know, on this, on this, in this life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I think all of those books are books that I've read either snippets from or read the entire, the entirety of the text. And each one of those has provided some, just like you said, some snippet that has resonated throughout life with me. And, uh, and I appreciate it because I think a lot of people don't know where to start, you know, and I think, I think what most people don't realize, especially in the David Goggins world is, uh, is making the commitment to doing something, putting pen to paper and actually going out and executing on something, getting yourself in the first uncomfortable situation of the many that will come is the actual beginning of all that. Right. And I think once you kind of get over that hurdle, I remember like the first time I ever pitched a startup and I, and I have to be very thankful for the, for my uh, my mother-in-law for this, I, I went to uh, 
I went to, what is it called? Uh, Venture Atlanta, one of the first Venture Atlantas that uh, was ever thrown. And it, this is like a, a regional uh, event for venture capital. And um, I went there with this idea on a tablet and I hadn't even like been coding for that long. And my mother-in-law actually went with me because she wanted to kind of like check out the space as well and also be supportive. She was, she's a, you know, a corporate leader. I was like kind of standing on the sides, not knowing what to do. And she just brought some random dude over to, for me to tell him and pitch him the idea to put me in the first uncomfortable of the many uncomfortable situations that I was going to be in. And once I got through that first uncomfortable position, um, it was like, I just needed to tell the story at that point because I needed it to be better the next time I knew I stunk at it, you know? And so I just kept doing right. it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And I'm, I'm forever thankful for her for, for putting me in that position and, and helping me realize that, I think to get something started, you have to kind of seek out those those uncomfortable moments because they help you kind of push through the difficult times. So um, we're wrapping this up. Tell me about where anyone can get in touch with you. Uh, you know, this is the moment to kind of proselytize anything that you think is important. So uh, so let me know where where anyone can get in touch with you. Yeah. So Justin, you know, I'm all, I'm still all about just helping people, giving back. If, if anybody, your audience, anybody that just wants to ping an idea off me, get get my thoughts on something, feel free to reach out, mattj.com, all my social links, uh, LinkedIn, all that stuff is there. So feel free to reach out anytime. And uh, I'm here to help you. Just let me know. Are you guys, are you guys uh, signing up a new cohort right now or are applications closed or open right now? Yeah, so um, we are extremely busy uh, going through applications to to try to find, like I said, twelve of the best and brightest energy tech, climate tech, and adjacent type startups that are out there. So that's what I'm busy doing until until cool. September. So if there's anybody in the audience that's listening that is uh, in the climate tech, in the you know energy technology space, uh, or is just a startup founder that wants to find Matt, go check him out on LinkedIn. Go find him at mattj.com. Uh, and then I really appreciate everybody uh, listening to this and Matt coming on. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, this has been the Everyday Hustle podcast. Uh, my goal with the Everyday Hustle podcast is to inspire you to go out and do something, build something, whether it be a traditional business or or a big technology startup. And uh, my goal is to make sure that we build software that empowers these businesses to grow. And so if you are interested in that, go over to hustlemob.com, pre-register your username, as well as if you want to get in touch with me, I'm Billy at hustlemob.com. I'm always available. And I just encourage everyone to keep hustling every day. Have a great one. See y'all.